Thank you so much for that, for all of the wonderful music this morning. Well, this morning, uh, as we launch a new year, we are launching a sermon series, Resetting Life's Compass. You received this in the mail, hopefully, and there are extras on the Welcome Center table in the back, and we would encourage you to uh, look and think through the series of sermons as we deal if, uh, with the topic of what it means to sort of reset life's compass and get set in the right direction, making the right choices and setting the right priorities. The sermon series is listed on the back, and we encourage you, as we uh, often do, to maybe take this to work or school or share with friends or neighbors. There may be others who are hungry spiritually, who are searching, who are dealing with life's tough topics about all the competing demands for our time and allegiance, and uh, maybe use this as a bridge and as an opportunity to share Christ or to introduce someone to the possibility of hearing God's voice in a fresh way based on their particular needs. So I want to challenge you to do that. And in a moment, I'm going to read from Isaiah the prophet, chapter 30, beginning in verse 12, if you want to have your Bibles open. Right now, I want to take a moment and lead us in prayer, and I invite you to bow, to center, to focus, to just be still in God's presence for a few moments, and then I'll lead us in prayer. Our God, it is so comforting to be under the authority of your word, to know that you have a plan, that you have instruction and help and encouragement for us, but it's also very, very challenging and uncomfortable to be under the authority of your word because we know that our lives fall so far short and we struggle and selfishness gets in the way. And so we pray that you would, first of all, help us to be honest with you and with ourselves and acknowledge our sin and brokenness. We ask you to forgive us, to cleanse us, to have mercy on us, to freshly fill us with your Spirit, that our hearts might be on fire for you and for the things that you have for us. And we remember today to pray for all of those in need. We know that you're counting on your church, and a lot of people in the world are counting on your church to pray faithfully for them, for those in the armed forces, for those uh, serving uh, in the medical field and as first responders and law enforcement, for those serving in government as a new legislative session begins. We ask God your blessing upon them. We ask God that you bless our congregation, those who are sick, those who are grieving the death of loved ones. And Lord, those who are struggling to put life together, who are just not finding all the pieces, who are, who are really hurting in relationships and, and in priorities and groping spiritually. And we ask God that you bless and give light. We ask God that you direct us now uh, to hear responsibly your word. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Isaiah, the prophet, chapter 30, beginning in verse 12, and I invite you, if you're able to stand as we come to attention and as God's word comes among us, therefore, thus says the Holy One of Israel, 
because you reject this word and put your trust in oppression and deceit and rely on them, therefore this iniquity shall become for you like a breach and a high wall, bulging out and about to collapse, whose crash comes suddenly in an instant. Its breaking is like that of, pot, of a potter's vessel that is smashed so ruthlessly that among its fragments not a shirt is found for taking fire from the hearth or dipping water out of the cistern. For thus said the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, In turning and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. But you refused and said, No, we will flee upon horses, therefore you shall flee. And we will ride upon swift steeds, therefore your pursuers shall be swift. A thousand shall flee at the threat of one, at the threat of five you shall flee, until there are left like a stag, till you are left like a flagstaff on the top of a mountain, like a signal on a hill. Therefore, the Lord waits to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up to show you mercy. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him. May God bless his word to our hearts and understanding. You may be seated. Well, there's something always special about uh, the first few days of January. Uh, The whole year, think about this. The whole year stretches out in front of us. It's brand new, it's pristine, it's undisturbed, it's like new fallen snow. Nobody's driven in it, nobody's walked in it, it's just pure, it's just out there uh, in its beauty. And, And all of that's waiting for us to make something of it. In reality, if you stop and think about it, that's true of every Sunday. We worship on the first day of the week so that we can say that lying before us this coming week is a brand new week, untouched, and able to be what we can make it to be with God's help. And every sunrise, every, every day we get up is that possibility that lying before us is 24 hours for us to make something of it. And so we begin to ask the question, what will we do with these days that are ahead of us in 2015? Or maybe I could ask, what will these days do to us if we're not in charge If we don't have a plan, what will life do to us? Maybe not what we do to life. And so this sermon series on resetting life's compass so that we have a direction, we have a heading, we have a plan so that we're not just reacting to life. And this morning, we're thinking particularly about margins. Now, I want to define margins for you. It's very simple. A margin is a space where there's nothing. That was simple, wasn't it? A margin is a space where there's nothing so that the something can be clear and stand out. A margin is a space where there's nothing so that where there's something, it's clear and it stands out. You remember in elementary school when uh, your teacher's teaching you to write on a piece of paper and the teacher is teaching you about margins? Don't write all the way to the edge. Leave margins so it's easier to read. What they don't tell us is, leave margins so the teacher can make notes on the side, you know. But, you know, you can also leave margins because as you're writing a letter to someone longhand, some of us still write letters longhand, uh, you can 
when you think of something, you can write it in the margin. Margin means there's space for the unexpected. You may not even realize it, but the laptop that you work from has a preset or default margins. It'd be nice if life had preset margins, but it doesn't. We have to make our own choices. Margins are everywhere. Did you know that the calendar you keep, either on the family, on the wall, or on the refrigerator, or in your Outlook, uh, in, your, in your smartphone, did you know that a calendar is, is a margin device? We, we actually, some of us think a calendar is something into which you dump as many things as you can until it won't hold anymore, but actually that's not the purpose of a calendar. A calendar is there to make sure you protect margins so you don't dump too much into it. Think about it that way. And a financial budget is a margin device. You know, you only want to spend this much, hopefully, so that you have margins for the unexpected, for the emergency, for the things you want to do, not just the things you have to do. So there are all kinds of margins. Did you know that one of the biggest margins described in the Bible is in the Ten Commandments? It's about Sabbath. It's about rest. God says, you work these days, and this was revolutionary to the culture and time, but I want you to have a margin. I want you to have a day to rest. I want you to have a day of margin so, that it, so you won't just be filling everything up to the very edge. So... I want you to have a margin so you can live, not just make a living. And that's, that's sort of what margins are about. In fact, if you read the Old Testament prophets, you will notice that of all the times they ripped the nation of Israel, Judah, every time they excoriated the nation for breaking the Ten Commandments, the breaking of the commandment about Sabbath was just as important as breaking the other commandments. Because... The prophets knew if, if you are a people who don't build in margins, if you don't honor God's margins, your life's, going to, your life's going to explode. Marriages need margins. When couples come to me and uh, say things like, we don't feel like we love each other anymore, I start asking them about their schedules. I start asking them if they continue to date in a courtship relationship. I start asking them about how they fill their time. And I remind them that marriages need margins of fun and relaxation and romance and laughter. And they look at me like this. Haven't thought of that. Churches need margins. Gone is the day when we see how full we can fill the church schedule inviting people to come to the building four nights a week. That day's gone. Churches need margins so that we have time to live our discipleship, so that we have time to be in relationship with God and with other people. In fact, there's a book out now entitled Slow Church. It talks about how the church that's frantically moving from activity to activity is not necessarily living the gospel. Slow Church is about relationships. So what you're beginning to hear, I hope, 
is this reality that one of the reasons we're all so stressed and we're all so tired and we're all so harried and hurried is that we have not honored margins. We've filled everything up to the brim. There's no space. And when we fill our, our lives up that way, we don't create margins in our calendars or in our budgets or in our relationships or in our time with God. Uh, we just get very frustrated. I was actually amazed at the feedback I got from Facebook when I floated some questions about this sermon series. Uh, it was about 10 days ago. I thought, you know, uh, I don't remember how many days ago. I can barely remember what, it's, it's Sunday, right? January 4th. Uh, it, it's all sort of a blur during the holidays, but sometime between Christmas and New Year, I, I floated this on Facebook, and I was startled at the number of people who responded with comments and the, and the intensity of comments about how frustrated and how lost and how, how, how burdened people feel about schedules and about life and about the absence of margins. And, and help me, Pastor, we need help with margins. It was, it was pretty, pretty amazing. And I want to do a disclaimer here. Full disclosure, total transparency. I'm not coming to you in this sermon or in this series as an expert. I'm coming to you as a fellow struggler. I am a recovering workaholic. I'm working at not being a workaholic. To find my value and reason to be and who I am, not just what I do. And you know, in, in my calling, there's a lot of rush and a lot of busyness. And I have discovered that if I'm not careful, I get addicted to the buzz of the busy. The adrenaline that pumps when there's always an emergency or always a crisis or always a crowded calendar or a deadline. And if we're honest, we get addicted to that buzz of the busy. And so when we're not busy, we think we need a fix. And we, we have trouble sitting and just being. We have trouble with margins because we think we've got to fill it up to feel the buzz. I'll give you an example of that. This is not earth-shattering. It's not overly dramatic. But maybe because it's simple, it will help you I, I, out of my own life. Shortly before Christmas, I was invited by one of our high school youth here in the church to help judge a speech contest at, uh, at the local high school. And I was honored. I, I love to do that. I got my start in public speaking uh, in high school, both in FFA and in school speech contests. And I, I love judging speech contests for high school students. It's, I feel like it's something I can give back. And I, I rationalized it to myself. I thought, boy, that's great networking in the community, uh, build some time with our youth and all of this. The old Doyle would have taken that and run with it. But the schedule is such that it was on a Friday, Saturday. I looked at the calendar. I prayed about it. And I knew I was going to be preaching this sermon series. And I declined. Because Friday's my Sabbath. It's the only day off I have in the week. And um, Saturday is a day to catch up on pastoral 
situations that I didn't have time for during the office hours, and then I'm ramping up to get the sermon in its final form for Sunday. And so if I would have taken that on, I would have just erased all the margins of that week, whatever might come, so that there would not be room for emergencies or the surprises, good or bad, that might come. And, you know, if I had taken that on, it would have seemed very noble and spiritual, but in reality, it, it wouldn't have been fair to me, it wouldn't have been fair to my wife, it wouldn't have been fair to my church, and it wouldn't have been fair to God to remove all those margins. So I said no. Andy Stanley has said that when we fail to keep healthy boundaries, we lose our ability to serve. When we don't have the healthy margins, we lose the capacity to serve because we can't do the spontaneous. We can't do the sudden because we're maxed out. And I got to thinking about what Andy Stanley said, and he said, without healthy margins, there's no room to serve. But I would go on to say, without healthy margins, there's not room to do what we intend to do our priority, so we end up doing trivial things. We're driven by the trivial. Without healthy margins, we become selfish. Without healthy margins, we become irritable, and we resent what we have to do. Without healthy margins, we rush. Without healthy margins, we don't keep the commitments we're supposed to keep because we're keeping secondary commitments. And without healthy margins we also get sloppy. We get sloppy, careless in our living. I want to show you the picture, uh, a picture of a wall, uh, and we've all seen foundations and walls like that. And I know all the construction people in our church uh, here this morning are just cringing when they see that. You know, when you get sloppy and you rush foundational work, you always pay for it, don't you? Did you know that a poorly built wall has within it the seeds of its own destruction? Nobody has to do anything to it. It has within it the seeds of its own destruction. And did you know that the, that the seed of destruction is the same in an unhealthy life. A, a poorly planned life has within it the seeds of its own destruction. And isn't it interesting that that's the image Isaiah uses in verses 12 and following. He said, because you don't make space for my word, because you don't have any margins in your life to hear my word, but you trust in oppression and deceit. In verse 13 he says, you will be like a a wall, a high wall that is bulging out and about to collapse and about to crash. What, what an interesting image that Isaiah would say, when you rush, when you fail to build your life appropriately, you are like a wall that ruptures because it was planned so poorly and lived so poorly. And instead of that rush and that frantic, unplanned, thoughtless approach, listen to what Isaiah says in verse 30. He says, in returning and rest you shall be saved. 
in quietness and in trust shall be your strength. Now, you better get used to that verse because that's actually going to be our memory verse during Lent, which begins next month. In returning and rest, you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. Think about those four words, returning, rest, quietness, and trust. And here, I think, is how Isaiah is contrasting those. We, we see some contrast there. He's talking about a thoughtless life versus a thoughtful life. You know, he says the people are just thoughtless. They're saying, well, you know, if this doesn't work out, we'll just jump on our horses and we'll run away from the enemy. And God says, you can't run away from the enemy because the enemy is you. Thoughtless versus thoughtful. He says there's that frantic, feverish versus relaxed. There's that restless and desperate versus quiet and restful. There's that controlling behavior that says, it's my life, I'm in charge of it, I'll call the shots, versus the trusting life that acknowledges God is Lord and in charge. And while that's up, I want to say, I want to say another word about this. You know, Isaiah accused the people of God of, of trusting in their military and in their own strength rather than trusting in God. And we do the same thing. One of the things that amazed me, uh, the Facebook responses I got, questions about this sermon series, is that people confess that the struggle that they have with calendar and lack of margins, the lack of clarity on priorities, the lack of a correct compass heading, the struggles they had with that in their own Facebook response to me, acknowledge it's a struggle about self-esteem. They said things like, I'm always trying to prove my value to myself. I need to learn to be comfortable who I am instead of trying to be somebody else. I need to let God love me. See, it's that learning to trust. It's that letting go of some of the oughts and shoulds and just letting God love us to know that God loves us with a just because. You know, you ask somebody, why do you love me? Just because. Why does God love us? Just because. We don't have to do anything. It's not our works. It's, it's that he loves us as we are. And we have to learn to trust him and trust that reality. And that's so hard to do. So, uh, I want to close this morning with a few suggestions for how we get there. Uh, just, a, just about three thoughts that will sort of launch us for this sermon series. And the first is that we come to the place where we develop a theology of brokenness. And by that I mean to come to a biblical understanding that broken is okay. To say this morning, I've messed up my life. It's unmanageable. There are pieces that aren't working. It's okay to acknowledge brokenness. That's where God begins. God is always able to start fresh. And that's a wonderful promise. That, that word in returning and rest, that word returning means repenting. It means that we can always start again. God loves you. It's in your brokenness that God will do a new work about your priorities and about your margins. Here's the second thing. Live by the compass, not by the clock. Dr. Bill Wilson came and spoke to our deacons in December uh, he directs the Center for uh, 
church health uh, in uh, North Carolina, and uh, he's going to be doing some work with us this year uh, in congregational compass setting. And uh, he, he came up with this great concept. Don't be ruled by the clock. You know, the clock is the, is the trivial, the, the immediate, the, the, the things that can just swing us from place to place and thing to thing unthinkingly. We're not, we're not living by the clock. We're living by a compass heading. Who am I in Christ? Who am I as a creature of God's? What is God's purpose for me on this earth? What is God's calling on me? And if I can clarify my compass heading, then my clock becomes a tool for carrying that out. But I don't live by the clock. I live by my calling as a disciple and follower of Jesus. And let that direct my path. And then finally, take one small step. Do something. That's my encouragement to us this morning. Because you see, here's what happens with New Year's Day's resolutions. Either people blow them off as nonsense. So I'm, just, I'm not going to keep any because I never keep them. I'm not going to make any because I never keep them. Or they make too many. I'm going to lose 500 pounds and I'm going to run the marathon with Rod 80 times this year. you know, Or something you know, absolutely impossible. We, we either don't do anything or we do too much. How about something in between? How about just starting with one area of your life to get some margins? How about just starting with one thing? I, I love to read history, as you know, and I was amazed to read not long ago that the Erie Canal, which was opened in 1825, which linked the Great Lakes to the Atlantic Ocean, and if you think about 1825, that, that greatly increased trade and commerce, linking the Great Lakes to the Atlantic Ocean. It was 360 miles long, the Erie Canal. It was 40 feet wide, but get this, the Erie Canal was only four feet deep, only four feet deep, and it carried barges that contained as much as 30 tons of freight, only four feet deep. Didn't have to have the Atlantic Ocean underneath it, just four feet. And I'm saying to you, you don't have to have theological depth of understanding about margins and Sabbath. You don't have to know the Bible frontwards and backwards. You don't have to have five websites that motivate you to get up and exercise. You don't have to have elaborate, deep plans. All we need is movement in our lives, movement in one area of our lives. That's all the Erie Canal needed, water deep enough for movement. And that's all God, that's all God is asking us of, of us this morning, is some movement in some area of our lives to open up to the possibility of God helping us create margins. And the only way we're going to do one through three is by claiming God's promise. And I want you to close your eyes and bow your heads, and I want, I'm going to read to you these promises of God, and I want you to absorb them as promises you can count on this week as you create margins with God's help in your life. In returning and rest, you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. The Lord waits to be gracious to you. Blessed are those who wait for Him. Thank you for these promises, God.
Help us to stand on these and live on these in the coming weeks. Amen.